No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to a brand new edition of Word Bros. My name is Bob. Hello. And I'm Kevin. Kevin. Hi. It's good to see you, bud. It's good to see you too, friend. Um, yeah, man, we got a really exciting show this week. Kevin, you're, are you excited about this? You, I am. I, yeah. I, I've, I've got both of Andy's books. Um, I, I was a member of Comics Experience for, for a brief while on, on the message boards. Um, and I can say that like, it's definitely something that if you're into writing comics, you should look into and, and get, get after. So. You get it. That's right. So today we have Andy Schmidt on. He is the uh, genius behind the comics experience uh, website. He's also, he's been doing comics for 20 years, man. He's going to tell you all about that in this very lengthy and really fun interview. We had a really good time. Andy's got a good, he's got a good voice, man. You could just kind of, it's like a pendulum swinging back and forth. Very even keel, really good guy. So let's talk to Andy Schmidt. Today we're joined by the lovely and talented Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience. And I was going to say, Andy, the comic experience is like a kingmaker thing over there, man. You've got some pretty, some pretty heavy hitting alumni who's come out of your, uh, out of your ilk. Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish they hadn't because I had a, I had a decent <laughs> book come out today, and uh, and uh, a couple of my our alumni uh, uh, had books from DC also out today, and I happened to notice that their reviews were. Just slightly more glowing than mine. Really? Oh wow! No, actually, it's great. No, uh, it's <laughs> um, reviews of so the one I wrote was Crime Syndicate. Um, okay. So the first issue that came out today, and actually, reviews were very positive. Um, some were super positive; others were just were just were just positive. But like okay. that's that's really good. Okay. Um, so that was very very nice. Uh, and then yeah, a couple of our alumni, but like they're already really popular guys like philip kennedy johnson's on superman and rom rom v was with us for a for a time and he's he's killing it on on swamp thing no complaints from me interesting so but i hold on hold on first off i thought nobody read the reviews man i thought that's like rule one in comics <laughs> oh, is no, don't no, read I the do. reviews no, what absolutely. are you doing like, andy like, Schmidt? Like if, you, if you ever take my class i'll tell you absolutely don't do that okay it's, it's a terrible idea no it's, okay. it's an awful idea no i um you know, honestly, you know, there's been a lot of craziness at DC, as as people probably know. Um, there have been layoffs, a couple rounds of layoffs and stuff. And unfortunately, several editors I was working with were were, were caught up in that. And so I kind of read the – I usually don't read the reviews. I really don't. I did today just because we've had enough editors kind of come through and give comments that I was kind of wondering <laughs> – where we landed in the end. <laughs> uh, so you were saying, what you're saying is you're reading reviews because you want to see whose advice is bullshit and whose uh, who's editorial you should maybe listen yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I just, um, it, it was a long, 
in the making project to begin with, and then to have it go through a number of different editors who had different points of view, not that not that any of them were like wrong points of view or anything, but um, but when it when people come in and they want to make changes and then somebody else comes in later and wants to make changes and then the fi thing finally goes to print, you sometimes can lose, like I'm just too close to it, you know? And yes. so I wanted to read a couple of reviews uh, just to see what people were responding to, to see if I could get an idea of like, they like this aspect or this tone, or, you know, they thought this kind of thing over here was funny, but this was too far. Yeah. You know, it's a book about villains. I mean, they're horrible people. Yes. Um, so it could very easily be very, very dark and, and really not fun to read. And I was trying to avoid that, but still tell a story about supervillains. Um, so yeah, I just trying to get an idea of like, do I need to tweak, you know, cause we're working on the lettering for issue two right now. So I could tweak some dialogue and move some things around if I needed to, uh, or if the editorial team felt like we needed to. So I was just trying to get a, get a little bit of the temperature, but right. yeah, I wouldn't tear up a whole lot of track just cause I read some reviews. Okay. All right. Cause again, I, I thought that was day one comic advice. Never read the reviews. <laughs> well, you uh, always read the reviews, Bobby. We said we them to each, to each other. Because we want to know like what we're doing and if, if, if it resonates with the reader. Sure. But the, yeah, but the, thing is I, I definitely tell that to people that don't have a thick skin but I've been doing this for almost 20 years and, and after editing uh you know being on the editorial teams for Thor Transformers and Hulk I mean there aren't those are some we'll say very passionate things yes uh, and, that's uh, that's a really nice way to say that <laughs> filled with passion um and they help keep me employed so I am grateful even when they can be a little snarky um but yeah, I mean, at this point, a bad review just doesn't even doesn't even phase me at this point. So. Well, that's also because you've been doing it for twenty years, and Kevin right. and I are trying to get our foot in the door. And a bad review, <laughs> and a bad review for your third book could be the kiss of death, you know. So, you know, you got to try to you got to try to do well by the reviewers, I guess. Well, you do. I mean, I don't want a bad review. Yeah, that's not a like that's not a goal. Uh, <laughs> maybe it should be. I don't know. I feel like I could excel at that if I really tried. Um, <laughs> be exceptional. I could finally be exceptional. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually kind of go in and out of comics uh, in one form or another. I mean, I'm always doing comics experience, teaching the classes and all that. And I'm always talking with comics creators and I go to shows. So like, I'm always in the world right but i'm not always working in it because i do a lot of other things and um and some of them frankly just pay better um and so uh and so i kind of come in and and out and i'm always every time i come back i'm like everyone has forgotten me no one knows <laughs> i'm starting from scratch um you turn yeah. into eeyore yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah i've got it i can do a pretty good you know why bother they're, all that. <laughs> They're just gonna forget about me anyway. That's really good. Um, yeah, no, I do that in my house all the time because my wife calls me Eeyore constantly. <laughs> That's awesome. She's like, you're too good at that. Please stop. So um, let's let's put a pin in the in and out of comics because I would like to talk about that. Sure. But first, let's talk about comics experience. That's what I was getting ready to ask. You Tell us um, what is comic experience and how can it be beneficial to new creators, creators that have been doing this for a long time? Just you tell us. Give us the okay. hard sell on, on comics experience here. Well, I don't tend to do a hard sell, so I'll just do I'll just I'll just tell you what it is and then you can decide <laughs> if it's it's right for you. Uh, 
that's like the general royal you not just you bob and kevin uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah so it's an online uh comic book school is probably the easiest way to call it to say it and it's just at comicsexperience.com and we have courses that you can enroll in um where you would you know you've got an instructor and they would give feedback on your work um it's sort of a, like a traditional sort of online classroom setting and we've been online not just because of pandemic we've been doing this for years online um uh, and it's really fun. And then we also have a thing called the Creators Workshop, which is a 24-7 online forum. It's less directed, so you don't have like an instructor kind of standing over your shoulder the whole time. Um, it's very community driven. We've got a publishing program um, going. So, you know, people from our community can submit to publication and we've we publish with partners uh, primarily, although that may be that may be changing. Um, and uh, and uh, that's been really cool. We've done ID, we've gone with IDW and SourcePoint Press, both um, uh, good partners, both of them. And uh, what else do we do? We got mentoring. We do creative services. So if you're a writer and you've got a script that you and you don't know how to find a team and and you, you're not sure how to pick an artist and and you want somebody you know with experience to look over the layouts, make sure the storytelling is good, all that can get wrapped up in what we call our creative services. Oh wow packages yeah and that's been really fun so a lot of people will take the like we'll take like the intro to writing comics class and you come out of that class with a with hopefully a very solid like five page story and sometimes people will take that do that get it you know you then use the creative services to turn that into a book and they can kind of keep learning because you know they're going to be in the loop because they're essentially the client at that point um so yeah i mean it's it really is like we when, when i first started it it was just me teaching classes in uh i would rent out in new york city i would rent out um uh rehearsal space for theaters so like i would find tables and like throw them together sometimes we're on a stage you know like, <laughs> like whatever whatever space i could find and whatever available things i could find and i was just teaching in, in person but i always kind of wanted it to be sort of the the disney world for comics creators where you could find you know the way to learn that was best for you you could find you know the the, the people you wanted to be with it's a very supportive community but also very honest because you can't you can't improve without honest feedback so that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. what we do 100 percent. um but we do it without being jerks so which is nice i think so i prefer not dealing with jerks myself <laughs> that's, like, that's how i that's my guiding light in life is like <laughs> that seems like a jerk i'm gonna go that way that's awesome um, now you guys also have cool things like a script archive on there and stuff don't you like where you can look up other scripts and stuff like that yeah technically that's not actually ours uh, that's run yeah. by somebody else we just hosted um, oh, okay but yeah and we do help them out and like you know i'll reach out because i've you know we were just saying earlier i've been in the business for a long time so i know a lot of creators and so we'll we'll reach out sometimes and and get people to you know ask them if they'd be willing to donate scripts and there's a lot of great ones on there i mean there's sort of um most of the most of the biggest names like there's alan moore's on there and then uh, you know garth ennis is on there and there's all kinds of neil gaiman's got a script on there oh cool um yeah it's, which is great because unlike screenwriting right for screenplays have a very set format and comics don't comics it's it's kind of you know what works um and there are definitely things that work better than other approaches but it is nice to be able to i think to download a bunch of scripts and be able to sort of see how different people do it and then kind of see what works for you and uh, and yeah and the 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 courses and stuff are paid but um 
but uh, but yeah, the the script archive is completely free. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Because that's a question that we get, you know, I'm sure you get it too. Like, okay, I got an idea. Like, what kind of format? How do I get started? And I've always felt kind of bad telling someone, well, like, do it however you want. There's not, there's not like a, like a set way. Like, no, dude, just do what works for you. And I always feel like that's such a cop-out answer. So it's nice to hear a 20-year comics professional say the same thing. Like, yeah, just do it what works, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it is pretty interesting because I do teach in the class. I, I use a specific format because one of the things that I have found is people sometimes just need you to say, do it like this. Right? Like, <laughs> like true, they just need true. you to have an answer. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't even have to be the right answer. But, they, but, but you know, what I do is I sort of teach, like, I teach them, um, it's really a methodology because the, the goal isn't to get a whole bunch of people that write like me. The world has one of me already, and that's probably enough. Um, but, uh, but the goal is to help you get your vision onto the page. You know, a lot of us, you know, especially if you think of like artists, right? You know, they can see the image that they want to put on that paper. And so, um, but, the, but the problem is getting what's in your head to actually be on, the, to put that on the paper. Like, so there's something in that between your brain and your hand that breaks down and it doesn't quite ever look the way you think it's going to. And the same thing is true for stories. You've got an idea for the story and the characters, but somehow in the writing, it's just not quite, coming together or i get stuck over here or whatever so a lot of the a lot of the course is really how do you overcome those things how do you break down writer's block how do you how do you plan out and how do you you know how to do that so that your voice your vision is making it uh to the page uh and so sometimes like for things like format it's just like use this format like just use this and if you want to use something else that's fine but if you don't really care just learn how to use it this way and actually on the script archive they're listed alphabetically by writer so under the t for the the comics experience script template there is an actual script template um and it's a microsoft word file that's on there um we really should move that like somewhere else like the top of the list or something but <laughs> there is a you know algorithm's gonna algorithm uh, that sounds like a t-shirt yeah. <laughs> uh so so yeah so it's under t but the comics experience script template is on there and it's uh it's it is a good one like it's very useful i know a lot of people that use it and it's microsoft word which we did it in word because most people have that um, yeah as opposed right. to using final draft or one of those things interesting Interesting. This is already a very interesting conversation. So like you're an educator, what made you want to start the comic experience? I mean, it sounds like quite an undertaking to, to do by essentially by yourself. I have this vision of like, you know, like you've seen the movie, the chorus line where you're sitting at a table in a theater going next and just kicking people off stage like Michael Douglas. It's like, what, what drove you to want to do something like this? Well, before I got into comics, I, um, I, uh, well, I well, I got into comics a couple of ways, I guess. But one of them was kind of through studying it, like like academically studying it um, in school, and um, and then I was teaching. I was getting my master's degree, and uh, and taking undergraduate classes that I was just interested in because uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. And I was taking screenwriting classes, and it turns out the the head of the undergraduate media communications department at Webster University, who was not the head of the department I was getting my master's in there you know there's an undergraduate head and then a master's level head so the undergraduate program um I just was talking to him he was teaching one of the screenwriting classes I was taking and 
so I was just talking with him after class one day about, you know, yeah, comics are up and coming. This is back in like 2000. Um, you know, comics are up and coming and, you know, it's more of a thing than it used to be. And now they're being studied and taken a little bit more seriously, everything about having a class. And he was like, give me a proposal. And I didn't really expect that. Um, <laughs> so, so I put one together and, um, and then I got picked up there. I wound up teaching several comics, different comics courses, not just the same one multiple times. Um, for them and I just I fell in love with teaching you know I had done some teaching before actually when I was trying to when I was putting myself through school um uh or supporting myself I guess through school but uh you know I was doing a lot of adjunct teaching and and um like uh uh what's that called substitute substitute teaching there it is substitute teaching on the high school (laughs) level I did junior high for like one day and I was like never again (laughs) suck Um, and actually like one of my greatest fears in life, like that gave me the most anxiety for the longest time was like when my, when my first child was in like that five and six year old range. Cause I was like, you're going to turn into a monster for like three <laughs> years. I was so afraid. He was all right though. Maybe you like them more when they're yours. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I fell in love with teaching and I had already, you know, fallen in love with comics. And then I left that, that Western University is in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. So I left there to go to New York to take the job at Marvel. And then I did, then I was editing at Marvel for, from 2002 to sometime in 2007. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then I just decided to take the two things I love and combine them into a business that no one could fire me from (laughs) yeah i hadn't been fired at either of those jobs before but uh still it seemed seemed like a good idea (laughs) and i and i started that like right when the recession hit too so um so yeah i quit my job like as the recession was hitting and and like my parents and my wife's parents were uh a little curious about the decision making on that um so yeah but then uh, then comics experience did all right i mean uh it wasn't like it, it never has made enough to live off of um just by itself but it's such a passion project at this point that you know i just can't stop <laughs> and and it sounds like we were mentioning earlier your your proteges if you will we had rich duick on who oh, yeah, uh, was a part awesome. Yeah, we yeah. had Rich on last week, who's doing some big things over. He's a Bram Stoker nominated writer yeah, now yes. on his first yeah. horror book. And then you've got Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's doing all the Superman who we've had on this podcast. Ram V, yes. you mentioned too. I mean, so you're like a kingmaker, my my friend. You're like Barry Gordy of comics. Like, yeah. We're uh, just making it happen. It's it's a very weird thing. Uh you know, and some and some of those folks have 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 you know really steeped themselves in comics experience, and some of them kind of you know did one or two things and then kind of and then kind of moved on and um and what i have learned from a marketing standpoint is you just claim them all equally um <laughs> but uh <laughs> but no they're all of those people are, are are really talented and really great and you know that's kind of i mean that really is the thing if you've got the drive and you've got the talent and i honestly believe that everyone has talent i see talent as like just you've got that vision that we were talking about earlier you've got a thing and you know what it is and you know what what to do that that hopefully comics experience is a place that can help you get there i'll just help you get it out it's there we just got to help you get it out um and that's really the the driving goal but yeah road of bones what a great book yeah yeah it, it, it really was and and i was gonna say that 
as far as I've been a member of the comic experience boards before. Don't say that so. you're it's going it's going right in the toilet now. Just right down, <laughs> the, yeah. right down the shitter. Yep, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ruin it for him. No more kingmaker for you, Andy. It just ruined it all. Well, for I guess you. every every court needs a king and a jester. You know. What yes, I mean? so yes, you're correct. Somewhere in between. You're right, or or um, at least somebody to pour wine. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I can. I'll take that job. I won't get fired from that one either. Just, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now we both have jobs. We won't get fired. Right. From. That's go. what I was looking for the whole time. That's the reason why I started comics in the first place. <laughs> and comics experience helped me find that. See, see, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, you were you were an editor at Marvel for you said from 2002 to 2007. That sounds like yeah. a long time to be in the rat race there, man. Editorially, like, <laughs> how did that work out? For, I mean, that sounds like a, a very pressure packed job. Stressful. That was a very. Uh, it was. It was honestly. It was the perfect time to be there for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, I tend to do better in a sort of sink or swim environment, uh, and they were in bankruptcy. Yes, uh, they were overhauling editorial, which basically means firing most people or laying them <laughs> off. Um, Joe Casada was editor in chief already when I started, uh, but hadn't been in that seat for too long. Um, and so, uh, and I had loved as a fan, like I had loved what, um, and studying wise, I'd loved what Joe had done. What Joe and Jimmy had done on, on some of the like, especially the original Marvel Knights, Marvel Knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff, and that was really that's really where like my interests were in sort of dark thriller taught, you know, a lot of that aesthetic that was really, you know, I really loved that stuff, um, and uh, and so you know I was seeking out that job and uh, I got hired in Tom Brevoort's office, which is like the Marvel Heroes, which is like the exact opposite of Marvel Knights. It's like all your meat and potatoes superheroes, which don't get me wrong. I like meat and potato superheroes, but it was, it was interesting to go into that office and, and be like, okay, so can we do, can we take some of these and do some of, some of that? And, um, you're not allowed to do that on your first day. But, uh, but the reason it was a perfect time for me, honestly, was I was pretty sure I wasn't going to stay in editorial forever. Um, not because I didn't think I'd like it, but um I just like doing new things. So I'm pretty sure I'm not going to stay in anything forever. Uh, so, um, so because of the chaos, frankly, that was going on at the time, and like none of us really knew if Marvel was even going to be around in six months, uh, or I, you know, there could just be a, a change in management at any moment. Like it was just very, like you just didn't know what was coming down the, the pike. And so I was like, I got hired and I was like, I could be out of a job in three months. Like through no, no fault of my own, like it just yeah. didn't happen. So my goal when I went in there was to learn as much as I possibly could about as much as I possibly could about making comics. So when creators would come into the office, which doesn't really happen anymore, but it did back then, like I would try and, you know, grab John Romita Jr. or Klaus Janssen or Walt Simonson or whomever was in there and see if I could just get a little FaceTime and talk about their process and all that kind of stuff. And of course, I mean, mainly I was learning from editorial. Tom Brevoort, my boss, is like this just like, he's like, the, this, he's built, his DNA is built out of comics knowledge. Um, and he's just, he's amazing. Um, and and so I just would soak up as much as I possibly could from everyone I came across. And that was, that was my goal. And then I thought, you know, if this thing ends, um, I, hopefully I'll be able to make a name for myself. So after about a year or so of just learning as much as I could, um, 
again, because there was just shuffling around. They just handed you, uh, they just handed you a couple of books if you're an assistant editor, and that just doesn't happen anymore. They're much more structured, and it's much more stable. And so there was this real opportunity if you had some go-getterness, go-getiveness, whatever. Drive. Let's uh, just call it drive. Yeah, let's make it less creepy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, if you've got drive, you could you could kind of get in and and you know I would if somebody was leaving if an editor was leaving a book and it was a book that I really liked or or you know thought maybe I could I would get along with those creators really well like I would just go and like make a case like hey give me that book and and let me see what I could do with it and then, um, that's how I wound up editing uh, the last arc or two of uh alias brian bendis and michael gatos's book okay um, mm -hmm. i just went and asked for it because it was like my favorite book that was going on in marvel at the time um but uh and i wasn't the only one that that had that sort of drive there was there was uh there was really kind of this sort of, sort of like band of brothers and sister going on uh there was warren simons and me and nick lowe and john barber and mackenzie cadenhead and all of us kind of came on and we all kind of and we all kind of worked together and we would bounce ideas off of each other before we would you know put ourselves in front of the firing squad um, <laughs> so it was great um and because of that and because of just sort of the nature of that and they were willing to take risks because again they were in bankruptcy i think i mean i assume that had something to do with it um you know, I got to pitch something like Annihilation, and uh, I don't know that a lower level editor would be able to pitch something as big as that. I mean, that was, was a one shot that led into four four issue miniseries that went on at the same time that then went into a six issue, like almost double sized per issue miniseries and reformed sort of the cosmic oh, landscape. Yeah. Of Marvel. So yeah. I don't think that that's likely to happen from a junior editor anymore. It's just all, it's all, you know, it's just not the way it's structured anymore. And so that was a perfect time for me to be in there. And then, you know, and that was all stuff that I was like really vying for. But then in my, my day job at Marvel, you know, I was working on Iron Man, Captain America, Avengers, Civil War. And I was there at a time when the focus, you know, the, the great spotlight shifted over to those books. So I was there for working on Avengers Disassembled, which led into House of M and Civil War and, you know, and Winter Soldier and Iron Man Extremist, like all this stuff that I'm now seeing on the silver screen, you know, all kind of came from this time period that I was there. It was a really, it was a really cool time to be there. And then, um, and then we were going to have our first kid. So um, I didn't make very much money when I was there. So I realized we did the math because my wife is a math magician. And we realized that uh, I would spend basically my take home pay to put my son in our son in uh in daycare so we just decided i would be the daycare and so that's why i left Interesting. I, went and I, I was a stay-at-home dad and that's when i started comics experience because my wife would come home from her day job and then i would go into the city in the night and teach classes interesting that's cool so you gave yeah. up the marvel dream to be a stay i'm a stay-at-home dad that's pretty interesting that's cool um yeah. there's there's definitely challenges to being a stay-at-home parent there are, you know, there's, <laughs> I remember just kind of waiting for my wife to walk through the door at five o'clock and going, all right, good. This is wonderful. Thank God. I'm going to go, I'm going to go decompress in the bedroom. for a minute, you know? Yeah. Those are some of the longest days of my whole life. Yeah. Especially, and I'm not particularly good with infants. So this whole thing <laughs> was a crash course for me. Uh, you know, when they get uh, speaking, I yes. like them. Yeah. I like them ba then. Babies are tough. Yeah, babies are 
they're not my jam but um but at least you know when the second one came along i was like oh you could turn into someone i like and so there was like that like it's like the carrot at the you know or the light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> um but yeah no it was it was i mean that was a huge thing though and actually i you know i've actually talked about this a fair amount uh publicly but like i really struggled with becoming a dad um that was really really hard for me uh not in a sense of like i don't like kids but just like just attaching you know like emotionally attaching to to another living thing does not come easily to me um and so it, it my wife and i were actually taking um we were in, living in at this point we were living in california we left new york a, about a year after uh our son was born and we moved to california where i worked at idw publishing but but we were taking adoption courses. We were looking to adopt and do foster care and that sort of stuff. And in California, I have to take a huge amount of courses and they were fantastic. They taught me how to bond with my child. So like we would learn these lessons about how do you bond with a foster kid or with a kid that you're adopting? How do you make those, those you know, emotional connections and, and get in that zone with somebody? And um, so I just decided like whatever we were talking about on, on that night, I would go home and for the rest of the week, I would try those techniques and like before I knew it I was like I can't live without this guy like this is this is an amazing thing so I, I I say all that because if anybody's struggling with being a parent take take classes like you that's something that you can learn how to do I feel like so often we're told like just have a baby and it all click into place and it didn't for me <laughs> but when I took some classes and I actually applied what I was being taught uh it was it was a phenomenal experience and I will be grateful for those you know, three months of classes for my entire life. That's very interesting. You're very, you're very do you want to talk about comics or do you no, want to talk about is, this, the this thing is, is though, I'd rather, the thing about it is, man, like we've always kind of looked at our podcast as kind of something different because it's the people behind the books. It's the people that make the things because people are going to read Batman no matter what. People are going to read Spider-Man no matter what, but I want to know who you are. I already know who Spider-Man is. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's learn about Andy Schmidt, you know? Unless he's a clone. Yeah, unless he's a clone. And then I just kind of get confused and, yes, and, then, and then you wonder why he that. wears sweatshirts with no sleeves. <laughs> like, yeah. why is, like, what an odd fashion choice. Like, do all clones make odd fashion choices in such a way? But whatever, I'm not here to judge. Um, but yeah, that's just, I'd rather know about you, man. That was really kind of fascinating to hear. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's how that works. Do you feel like? Do you, do you have this feeling like you're revealing too much of yourself? Because no. I, <laughs> no, I actually uh, I wrote about it. My first creator-owned book uh, was called Five Days to Die, and it's like a cop, you know, thriller, like no, like noir thriller. It's five issues, and it came out weekly in a five-week month. It was September of 2010, I think, and uh, and. I was writing like the fourth issue when it clicked with me that like this whole book is about becoming a parent. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, and so there's actually an essay that was in that, that like, a you know, it's just like a one page, like little thing at the back of the first issue. But I wrote about this and said like, Hey, this is what this book is about. Like it's a thriller and like the main character doesn't even have a son. He does have a daughter. She's older. So it's not like, there was no direct parallel, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And I was like, this whole thing in the whole situation, which was, uh, you know, there's there's this like older sort of grizzled, you know, detective and he has family problems. He's got it falling out with his wife and he's estranged from his daughter. Like they don't really talk. And then there's this big car accident and his wife is killed. His daughter is hospitalized and could die. 
and he basically wakes up and he's he's got brain damage and he's got five days before he's going to expire essentially and he has to decide does he throw himself into his work and try and take down that one big drug dealer that he's been chasing for years uh, who he thinks may be trying to kill his family Um, so in that sense he's trying to protect his family or does he try and spend time with his daughter in the hospital and kind of get to know her and so that was me. I threw myself into my work and, and then realized that that was not the thing. And so I wound up writing this whole story that really was the, this, this guy, Ray, this older detective at the end of his career, this is like the thing that I was afraid that I could become because I could easily throw myself into work and run away from being a parent in all these ways that, that people do. And, um, and, uh, and yeah. And so like, I wrote this essay about, about all the stuff about the parenting and it, and to this day, when I go to shows, I still get people come up and talk, talk about that book to me, but specifically about the fact that they read that essay and they were like, holy shit, I went through something similar. And thank you so much for giving voice to this. So I don't mind talking about it at all. That's awesome. That's, That's very good. Cool. Now, let me ask you this question. As a parent, do you find yourself weeping for no reason at things you shouldn't cry about? <laughs> I'll take the fifth. Okay, so that's a yes. Yeah, um, no, no, no. I, any any Harrison Ford movie is an automatic cry, right? <laughs> you know. Yes, yes. You know. I yes. mean, The Road gets me every time. Well, The Road, I mean, I can see how okay. The Road would lend itself to tears, but I'm saying like things that shouldn't make you weepy. Like just, I was, my daughter and I were watching Miss Marvel and like the scenes where she's picking herself off off the ground after messing up her bike and doing these things. I'm a wreck and I'm trying to hold myself together in front of my 10 year old kid. Like, does this happen to you, uh, Andy Schmidt? Yeah, and actually, I mean, uh, there are certain things that get to me that, occasionally it's the it's like a like a parent child relationship can can get me but what really gets me and i find this weird is like uh people doing the right thing against like extreme uh 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 you know when it would be very easy not to right like when society wants so like but like, yeah, like there's a, there, when Captain America gives his speech in the Winter Soldier, like towards the end, he's over the loudspeakers and shield. Like I get like, I get like oddly teary eyed for that. Cause I'm like, you <laughs> tell him Cap, That's awesome. <laughs> tell him. That's it's awesome. how we do it now in that, in ahead, that same vein, in that same vein, it's the Rocky, uh, the, the Creed movie. Like when he was kind of taking his best friend's son under his wing and all that, like it, it made me weepy at times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it got yeah. Me. So. now uh, we can't let my wife listen to this podcast. <laughs> Not at I'm, all. I constantly <laughs> just look the other way, and I'm like, just mm-hmm. wipe that tear. Yeah, away. she can't see that because she's she's a robot. She's there's no way to <laughs> to pierce into her core, so she doesn't <laughs> cry at anything. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm the one that gets yeah, I'm the one that gets weepy at things. It's weird. I'm trying to think of what the last thing I got weepy at was, but it was probably like two days ago. Can I, I watched the it? I watched the game the other day. I probably cried. The game? Like, yeah, Michael Douglas. The Michael yeah. Douglas movie. Yeah. I, I, All right. I don't remember crying, but I probably did because, okay. like you said, you just it just it just comes out. All right. Oh. I'm gonna- I'm going to share this with you guys and it's pretty funny, but it's something that I've never told anybody, but my daughter and I were driving. This was like a week ago. We were driving back from five guys, burgers and fries. And we were listening to Taylor Swift, her new record uh, lover, her older record lover. We were listening to a song London boy about her new boyfriend 
from London and I got sad and cried because I'm just so happy for that girl that she's been able to find love. Like, and I was like fighting back that's, tears as I'm, uh, yeah. That's beautiful. That's my because you're a real Swifty. I am a Swifty, but my daughter's a huge, my daughter's a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like she's a, like, that's, that's, that's her, that's her jam. Yeah. Like that's her deal. And so like the fact that Taylor Swift finally found love just got me, yeah. got me choked I will- I will tell you something that I that I, like I was legitimately really really moved by that was a comic book uh I guess show but the end of Watchmen the the HBO series Oh I, okay like, I haven't watched that yet There's 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 a there's a sequence which obviously I won't spoil it for you Kevin but there's a sequence at the end that after what was it nine episodes of this thing and and I wasn't really into the show for the first couple of episodes I was trying to kind of figure it out and then somewhere around episode four or five the whole thing just clicked and i was like riveted and that's what i've heard yeah i think i stayed up till like four in the morning just i couldn't stop watching them and then i got <laughs> to the end and i think i watched like the last 20 minutes or something of the final episode like five times like just on repeat and i was just so like legitimately moved on like multiple levels you know and i'm watching this like in the heart of you know black lives matter and like all this chaos the world is just falling apart from covid like all this chaos is going on around me and i was just focused on this on this thing that felt like it was very much doing a commentary on a lot of that at the same time and uh yeah i was really moved by that that one got me i mean it's gonna which surprised me because it's watchmen and i like watchmen but i'm not typically moved by it i've heard the show's great i haven't seen it but again i've heard wonderful things so the last episode of WandaVision got me too. So that was like this past, like, I'm not going to say anything if you guys haven't seen it or haven't seen the show. Okay. So the last, this last one that just dropped. So the one that this next one will be the new one. So last week's one, like there was a part in there where like vision was talking about something. And then he says something so poignant that like, you just don't expect that from um, what the show was up to that point um, to what it becomes as the show goes on. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's, that's super deep. Like, I wasn't I wasn't even on that level when I was watching this, but it just brought it there. So there it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so. so when you when you sit around in the movie theater and you're watching Captain America Civil War, do you just stand up halfway through the movie and go, all oh, this was me? Like, this was my idea? I was the editor <laughs> of these comics. Like, you're welcome. You're welcome. Is that what you do? Do you do any of that stuff? That's what you no. would do. That's what no. you would do. Buddy. Maybe. No. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, so. uh i like I, i've mentioned my wife several times on here and my kids too they're both all of them all three of them are very good at keeping me very humble i'd like to be a megalomaniacal maniac <laughs> but I, I i chose the wrong partner in life we uh so for guardians of the galaxy when the first one came out marvel um uh invited my wife and i up to la for the red carpet premiere because of nice. annihilation yeah. stuff yeah it was very nice of them um and so we went up we went for the whole thing and like you know it's this giant theater and all the movie stars are there and there's like celebrities like kind of all around us the cast of agents of shield was sitting in the row right in front of us and you know all this stuff and then uh you know and i i two things happened that were really funny one is um i got this giant pit in my stomach my wife is not into comics so i got this giant like pit into my in my stomach before, right as the lights went down and the movie was about to start that like oh my god what if she hates it like what if this <laughs> is terrible and she hates it um 
and then fortunately the movie opens and like during the opening credits she was laughing and then i was able to relax for the rest of the movie but like i was terrified that she was just gonna hate it and that like all of that work that that you know for me from my perspective all that work i put into annihilation all that stuff was gonna be something she hated um and then but the thing that was so humbling was we were driving home that night after the movie and she had really enjoyed the movie and then she was like so what did you have to do with that? <laughs> I was like, seriously? I edited this freaking thing for like a year in our apartment because I didn't have time to do it when I was at work. So I would come home, I'd eat dinner, and in our apartment, I would work on this thing for hours every night. And she's like, oh, that's what you were doing. Okay. She's like, well, it's a funny movie. So, that, that's yeah. you. That's all you though, right? Like, take that. That's all you. That Because Annihilation was the thing that put the Marvel space stuff back on the map. Like, I would have it, friends. It was. It, yeah, it was at the time, for sure. Because I, I had friends, because I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't read it because Marvel space stuff wasn't my jam. Like, it Same. wasn't my thing. But <laughs> I would have friends that would beat me over the head, like, you have to fucking read this book. It's so good. And I was like, no, no, no. Because it, I never got into Mar the Marvel space stuff. But this revolution, everybody who I talked to back in the day at the comic shop was like, this is it. Like, this is, this will change your whole perspective about it. Well, one of the things that's that I, you. one of the things that I learned was work on books that uh, you either don't really like, um, and so I was not a big Marvel cosmic fan, um, and so I didn't want to do what Marvel had done in the past. I didn't want to do uh, Thanos takes over the universe and then loses it, um, and I didn't want to do a lot of the like ethereal like eternity and living tribunal and like that. Like I wanted to do like something closer to harder science fiction i mean you're not going to get hard sci-fi in the marvel universe but i want to do something more like that and i wanted to do a war story and then uh and then marvel didn't care about those characters so they let me they let me uh take those characters to, and not that i shouldn't say marvel didn't care about them but they were not very popular characters that yeah time. They, their books mm -hmm. weren't selling um and so the, again the right place right time for me right i was at marvel at a time when those characters were available and they were letting junior editors take risks so it worked out in my favor and i sort of did you know sort of a similar thing with madrox so madrox the x factor mm -hmm. character where he'd been kind of not doing anything and i was working with peter david on another book that was coming to an end and so i said well do you want to do something else and he said sure and i said okay well got anything you want to pitch he said no <laughs> okay uh i was like well i'd like to keep working with you so uh do you mind if i throw an idea out, out at you and so he said sure and i said well i really liked the way you wrote madrox back in like 1990 whatever that was um on his first run on x factor and, which is and, still great like you could go back and read that today and it's still good yeah i mean especially of course the psychiatrist issue which i think yeah. everybody loved um and, uh, and I said, I just love Madrox. I just think he's really funny, but I think he could be more. And I'd like to do, like, I really like film noir detective stories. What do you think about casting him as like a gumshoe detective? And and I knew that he liked detective stories too. So I figured there was a pretty good chance he'd, he'd kind of go for it. And he loved the idea. And I said, great, we'll write up a pitch. And so he did. And um and uh, you know, I had maybe a few comments on the pitch, but basically, he, you know, he he nailed it. And then 
we got that approved and then next thing you know there's this bizarre marvel knights madrox the multiple man miniseries <laughs> coming out and that no one asked for and uh <laughs> and uh and and it connected with readers and so then we got to launch x factor based off that so it so for me like finding a way to look you know whether it's taking a, a like a genre not really applied to a character and then sort of doing that like we did with madrox or whatever it's just finding you know what's the new what's the new take on this and and also being true to the characters i think that's you know you, you can't you can't just uh it's in, I don't think you can or should just like throw out everything that came before and just like recast them however you want. Like you still, they still have to be the characters and fit in that universe. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was weird. And then when Annihilation was a hit, um, that was shocking. Uh, I don't think any of us expected that. Um, I was actually surprised that they, that they greenlit as much as they did when they did. Um, and then, yeah, and then we got to, and then we just, yeah, you just get to work. You, you just do the best you can with it. So people liked yeah. it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to kind of come back around to. You said you've been in and out of comics over the past 20 years because you would go out and do other things. Now, when you enter back into the space, do you ever feel like, oh man, what if I don't remember how to do this? What if tastes have changed? What if styles have changed? Everybody doing nine panel pages now, like how do I go about doing this? <laughs> like, is, is that something that you kind of have to retrain yourself to do or do you just kind of fall back into a groove? Uh, no, I'm, well, uh, no, is not the right answer. Yes. All of that. Um, okay. <laughs> so that was a hard it, turn, Andy Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's nerve wracking and, uh, and sensibilities in comics change pretty quickly. So yeah, anytime I kind of come back, especially as a writer, cause it really, a lot of it really is on, on you to make sure it works. You know, if, if the script doesn't work, then it's really hard for the, for an artist or you know even an editor to to salvage it so um so yeah i mean i look at what other people are doing and then go how is this different from when i was coming up i mean the comics in the early 2000s were a bit more decompressed than they are now um you know and there's 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 it's not just one pendulum it's not just like decompressed to compressed and there's one pendulum that swings there's about 50 pendulums and they're all swinging at different rates and you kind of got to figure it out but the key isn't to figure out what everybody else is doing and then do that. The key is to kind of figure out what, what's going on that, that audiences are connecting with. And then what are the other toolboxes that I like that, that I'm good at that I can, I can kind of create a new mixture with that I haven't really done before. Um, uh, And that's always exciting to do but it's also terrifying like i mean again that's why i was reading reviews today like (laughs) did did i get this right did i get it wrong and um but i also like i said before i love doing new things and i love learning and i always want to be challenged to what i'm doing and one of the things that's really cool about comics is if i kind of go away and focus on other things for a while and then i come back it's always challenging again like in a really good way not Mm -hmm. not like oh my god what do i do but um but it's always challenging and it's interesting because sometimes i sometimes you know my sensibilities um you know they don't mesh with somebody else's and so you know you gotta have that discussion what do you what do you want out of the book well i don't know what do you want out of the book and then you hash it out so um 
uh, you know, it's, it's good to have people that can check you, you know, whether it's editors or it's an artist that you're collaborating with or, or another co-writer, I may be doing some co-writing stuff coming up here and, and, um, that's always fun. Uh, well, it's always fun when it's somebody you actually get along with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I worked, um, with Dan Jurgens and Rob Venditti on the Generations projects that DC just put out, Generations okay. Shattered and Generations Four, just two eighty-page giants that tell one really big story, and um, that was fascinating. Um, that was great because we did a uh, plot script, so you kind of wrote like a prose sort of document that you gave to the artists, huh. and then they drew it, and then we dialogued it after, which. I'd edited comics where that had been done before, but I'd never actually written a comic that way um, before. And um, uh, there was a lot of learning that went on for, for young Mr. Schmidt in that one. Uh, <laughs> that was not, it's, it's interesting. At times it was actually really liberating and like freeing and you, could, you felt like you could do a little bit more on the fly sort of. Um, and then at other times I was like, oh my God, like we have to like, you know, my editors tell me we got to get 30 bits of exposition in these five pages. Like, really? how the heck am I going to, how, how am yeah. I going to do that? I mean, exaggerating, but, but, you know, that kind of thing could be really, could be, was really tough. Um, but, but I think the book turned out really well. And, um, you know, hopefully you can't just pinpoint like, oh, that's a, that's a crappy Schmidt scene right there. But, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it was a lot of exciting ideas. Unfortunately, WandaVision started coming out in between the two issues. And like our villain has this whole WandaVision thing essentially going on in the second issue. Of course, we had worked on that before WandaVision started. Mm-hmm. But uh, but WandaVision came out before the actual book did. And then now people are comparing it to WandaVision. I'm like, well, I like WandaVision, so that's not bad. But we didn't we didn't actually copy WandaVision. You were doing that like two years, like 18 months prior or whatever. And then the book yeah, finally yeah, got yeah. done. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was written and drawn, I think. And, and I think even scripted dialogue before. Yeah. All the dialogue was done mm-hmm. before WandaVision started. It was right around the time WandaVision. So then WandaVision started and I was like, oh my God. Look at that. <laughs> Zeitgeist. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, what, now let me ask you so a I question. I called up my Disney com- contacts. And I was like, can you just push this back like two months? It'd be great. <laughs> hey, scrap this whole WandaVision yeah, thing. Just, just move it, to, move it to the back. Hey, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, let me ask you a question. If... If that would have happened, let's say you were in the process of you and the other two writers were in the process of writing this script um, and WandaVision happened, would you guys go back in and throw all your shit out and start over? Or would you keep going, forging ahead, knowing that WandaVision's kind of looming in the background? Because I asked this question because I think sometimes there is this collective consciousness and it does seem ideas happen at the same time, unbeknownst to people who don't communicate with one another. So like, if you were on the end of that, how do, how would you approach something like that? Um, I think we will, I'm sure we would have had the discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do we need to change it? And the way that discussion usually goes, I mean, I don't, you know, there were three of us and then there were also two editors. There were really five of us, you know, on, on those calls. Um, but I think, uh, um, I think usually it goes like, do we need to change it? And then the answer is no, we don't need to change it. There's always 
three things that look similar coming out around the same time. So you don't have to change it. And then the question would be, okay, we like it. So we do like it. We don't want to just throw it out. But is there another way that we like as much or more that can essentially serve the same function, right? And from okay. a narrative perspective. And if the answer to that is yes, if we brainstorm and we come up with another way that you know doesn't look like whatever that thing might be, then we can, um, then you know, then we might kind of toss that and make the adjustment, right? Okay. But if we don't really come up with something that we like as much and we think fits the character as well, I think we probably would have stayed with it anyway. Um, and honestly, it's it's th that that stuff with with Dominus as the villain is is probably my favorite stuff in the in the whole book. Even though you know people compared it to Wandavision, which is fine. I also yeah. like Wandavision, and we knew, or at least I did. I don't know if I ever gave voice to it, but like I'd seen a trailer or two of Wandavision, so like I knew that was a possibility. But what I did not think about was the release dates that never crossed my <laughs> mind. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, yeah, a lot of times those, those ideas happen. I mean, I remember going to see Armageddon and then turning around and seeing Deep Impact the next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> Deep Impact, which by the way, I watched about two weeks ago and I did not cry. That's cool. All <laughs> That's right. Good. All right. Now, is that because it's not good or just didn't titch on that level? Yeah. It, uh, you know, the disaster movies don't tend to get to me. Okay. I don't know why. I think that it's usually because the characters are like paper thin and like, I just don't buy it. You put Harrison Ford in a disaster movie and I'll probably cry. Air Force One, you crying at Air Force One? Yeah, with the guns to the daughter's head and he's like, I'm going to count to five. He only gets a two and then Harrison Ford is like, I'll do it. And I'm like, well, of course you will. You're the best dad ever. And then you start crying. <laughs> um, you as everyone does. I, it's, you, you, you sit there as if I'm saying something weird. This happens to all of us. It happens. I'm just, I, oh, hang on, I'm just, hang on. I'm getting Harrison Ford's filmography and I'm going to go through. We, so you hard. don't even have to go through like regarding Henry because you know that yeah, happens in that yeah. movie. It's a, it's a, that's a no-brainer. I felt like though, even as a kid, I saw regarding Henry because Indiana Jones was in this movie and I was like, yeah. I don't know. This feels heavy-handed to me. Like this is him trying too hard for like, uh, praise as a as a child i even felt that way I witness what about witness a oh, witness is that's a great movie yeah. witness or are you just movie. asking where i cry in witness <laughs> like i'm asking bobby if he cries in witness no 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 you don't cry at witness you don't uh I there didn't. is a, there is a scene where i get a little i get i get emotional i don't know if i get teary-eyed or what but but uh there's the ice cream cone scene uh, I, I find it very intense. So one of the Amish guys gets made fun of by like a local non-Amish guy, and that the that guy puts his, he's like got an ice cream cone, and he like puts it on the guy's face. He doesn't do anything, and Harrison Ford Booker, as I'm sure you know, uh, like is gonna kick that guy's ass. But of course, that's not the Amish way, and so the Amish people like kind of like stop because at that point he's all dressed Amish, so they're all like, oh, what are you gonna do? And like, Jebediah, please. He's, he's about to break <laughs> the guy in half. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and they stop him and i find that that scene like it, you know again i don't think i actually cry but like i get very intense in that scene mosquito yeah. coast that movie's fantastic i haven't seen mosquito coast in a real what about working yeah. girl do you cry at working girl uh the i don't think so um uh, patriot games oh yeah absolutely Really? Yeah. Patriot well, he's going to have a rousing uh, cap speech in Patriot Games. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. In Patriot <laughs> Games, it's actually when he confronts the the main, uh, it's uh, Richard Harris, when he confronts the, the IRA guy. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he threatens him and says he's going to put such a stranglehold on that guy's funds that he'll be throwing rocks in the streets. He uses this, this like great, like, 
F you speech. And he's like in the IRA, like, you know, it's one of those things. It's being heroic, doing the right thing, even though you're probably going to get your ass kicked for it. Okay. How about, um, uh, what's, what's the other one? Not clear and uh, clear and present danger. Did you cry at that one? Sure. At the end. Yeah. His little speech, the president, you know, like, how come you, how dare you come in here and bark at me like some kind of junkyard dog? How dare, you, how dare sir. you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> Every time. And then bam, I'm like, I'm, I'm out. I can't even see the rest of the movie because I'm crying so hard or, uh, or just when he goes up to the villains lair in Columbia and he knocks on the front door and then, and the, and the guy's what, like, what? And, he, yeah. and who are you? And he hands him his CIA card. And he says, I'm here to see Ernesto Escobedo. Now, I don't tell, have an appointment. Tell That's me, just awesome. Tell me that the guy who, not the drug lord dude with the baseball bat, not that guy hitting the baseballs, but the other guy, that's Latino Phil Hartman. Tell me that's <laughs> not Latino Phil Hartman. That's always that been is, my, that's my dude. Yes, that is Latino <laughs> Phil Hartman. And funny enough, in that movie, they actually call him Latino uh, Jack Ryan. Oh, that's right. That's that's Clear and Prison yeah. Danger is a really good movie. It is a great movie, yeah. I like a lot of the I like a lot of those uh, the, the Jack Ryan movies. I love Hunt, my favorite one is actually Hunt for Red October. I love that movie. One ping, <laughs> one ping only. Yeah, so good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, do you watch any of the Jack Ryan stuff? Because Kevin Costner was in a Jack Ryan movie they did with Chris Shatter Pine. Too. Yeah, that one was good. Okay. I liked that one. I it, got, it got a little panned, but I liked it quite a bit. I, the only film I really did not like was Some of All Fears. Which wasn't because of Ben Affleck or okay, that was the Ben Affleck. That was the Ben Affleck one. Wow, a lot of a lot of people have played Jack Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I liked the first season of the show, but I couldn't get into the second season. Yeah, my wife liked the first season of the show, and it was funny because what both of Pam's fiancés were in one episode. Like, because if you watch The Office, Roy shows up in in Jack Ryan too. He's one of the 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 military guys, which I thought was hilarious. But yeah. yeah, so what? Alec Baldwin played um, Jack Ryan, Harrison Alec Baldwin, Ford, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, Chris Pine, Krasinski, and then Krasinski. That's a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, and actually, there's a um, there's a spinoff movie coming out this year with uh, Michael B. Jordan, who plays Clark in Without Remorse, and Clark was in Clear and Present Danger, played by Willem Dafoe. Wow. Okay. Same, yeah. It's the same character, Dude. and he's and he's in uh, he's in. I think it's some of all fears played by Lee Schreiber. So you you are like a wealth of Jack Ryan knowledge. <laughs> if you were on Jeopardy, you're hoping the final Jeopardy question is Jack Ryan, right? Like this is your jam. Yeah, no, I, I've I've got this. Just don't ask me about the books; they're too long. I can't read them. Yeah, Tom Clancy. It's it's tough. My dad was in the Navy, and he used to read Tom Clancy novels, and I would try to like, oh, Hunt for Red October. That movie rules, and I'd it was like reading stereo instructions. Like, nope, I'm yeah. good with this, man. I got, like, I got through about four of them, and then I was like, I don't, I don't have this, the time commitment for this anymore. <laughs> I'll just watch the movies. Yeah, it's just, like what we talked about with J.R.R. Tolkien. The Cimmerillion is such a hard read that I just said, pass. I'll go to, I'll yeah. skip, I'll skip all the elf stuff. My, uh, my father was reading uh, the Lord of the Rings in college, and he read Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and he got to the point where Samwise and Frodo were like on the mountain, about to go into Mount Doom. And golems like right there chasing them or whatever and he realized at that point after all of reading all of that that uh you know and at the time i mean he was in college in like the 60s so um so they were super popular you know then and uh he got that far and realized he did not care wow 
And so he closed the book and has never gone back. Wow, that does not does not know what happened in the ring. Doesn't know what happened to Frodo. He's so close to the end, though. I know he's so close. He's like, oh, I don't care. Closes it's it. hard. Right. I mean, because I'm I've been reading Two Towers now, probably for like a year, and I get to, I, and I get to I was like, I just I I just I'm having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time getting through this Two Towers. I read all the Hobbit. I love the Hobbit. I like Fellowship of the Rings, but like I am really struggling to get through this, this Two Towers. Two I just, Towers is a. I think the. I think the movie is is better than the. the I would agree book. with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and then and then when you read Return of the King, you're gonna have you're gonna get to the like the action, the the part that you want to read, and then have another like 300 pages after that, Bob. So just be ready for that. Well, the, well, the thing <laughs> is, I've seen I've only seen the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. Oh, then you'll be fine. You'll so be I know fine. how it ends, but yeah. like, yeah, I couldn't imagine like, oh, cool, it's over. Oh, motherfucker! And then there's like 300 <laughs> pages left. Like that sounds like madness to me. It's crazy because because when I was yeah, in yeah. high school and I read the book and I got to the end, like you, when you figure out, OK, this is how the thing ends and you think it's over. Then there's another chapter and it's like, oh, this is what happens to Samwise. And it's like this long. It's pretty long. And then you get to the next character and it goes through all the characters. That's what terrible. happens to all of them. But, it's crazy. So you're but your dad never had never had remorse about that. He's never seen the movies. He just doesn't care. Uh, yeah, he just doesn't care. He doesn't see many movies um, in general. Which is funny because all three of his sons are like super into movies, but um, but yeah, <laughs> one uh, being no, Jack Ryan specifically. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna be on a I'm gonna be launching a podcast at some point in 2021 called uh, Franchise Fan Guys, and this is what we do: we go through franchises and we we'll talk about them. That's so. cool. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. We, we do wrapped up recording Mission Impossible. So if that's you want awesome. A deep dive on Mission Impossible. I'm in. Are you doing the TV show or the movies? The movies, but we reference the show. Okay. You know, because okay. we're talking we're, the 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 get on the on the on the podcast whenever it happens is is sort of we're talking about the whole franchise, not okay. just like talking about each single movie as we go along. It's like what is you know we'll talk about like a topic through the franchise. Okay. 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 You know, okay. which is yeah. I don't know of that many other shows that do that, so hopefully it'll hopefully it'll stand out in a crowd. No, that's know? cool. I mean, I've been doing a a Star Trek podcast now for we've done 300 and like 80 something episodes we're just we're watching episodes of star trek and reviewing them we've done yeah, this- so so you are a stay-at-home dad yeah that's what that's what i just heard <laughs> yeah yeah kind of um we started yeah that's pretty we, awesome are you just starting like with original series and going through like we started with because when i had my first child all my wife because you know how it is you just have this lump of humanity that you hang out with and what else is there to do but watch it breathe you know, so my wife and I just sat around and we watched The Office and Star Trek Next Generation. So I was doing commercial radio at the time and my commercial radio career was kind of swirling down the turlet. Um, so I said to myself, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. And I said to myself, you know, what would be fun is like to give our audience other things that they're not getting on the commercial radio show podcast. This was in 2010, 2011. I said, you know, it would be fun to give them something else like extra material. So I said, well, I could do the Star Trek podcast. And then shortly thereafter, I got canceled. So then a couple of friends of mine and I just started watching Star Trek The Next Generation. We've done Generation and Deep Space Nine, and now we're doing uh, Voyager. All right. I just started watching Discovery. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. How far along are you into Discovery? Uh, I just started season two. And I was a little surprised to see uh, a guy that I went to college with and was friends friends with in college uh is captain pike so that's awesome yeah, anson mount's cool. great 
Yeah, he's really, yeah, he's really, I mean, I've only seen a couple episodes of him, but yeah, I really like him he, in that. And he's, he's, he's very good. He's a very talented actor. And he was the star of Hell on Wheels. And, I loved Hell on uh, Wheels. A so. bunch of, bunch of other things. He's great. Dude, uh, but I didn't, I didn't actually expect him to show up. So he showed up and I was like, oh, uh, I think I know you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Dude, he's getting, his, they're getting their own show. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I'd heard that because uh, because then I looked on IMDb and I was like, I was just like, that is Anson, right? Yeah, and then I looked at, sure enough, yeah, that's his own awesome. show. Wow. And I liked him. I actually thought, you know, I'm only like two. I think I'm two episodes into season two, and I already like at the end of season one, they were kind of getting rid of a couple of cast members. It sort of yeah. seemed like, uh, and I nothing against those cast members or those characters or those actors, but I kind of agreed with the moving them on, and then with pike and then uh i am assuming that there's this woman that they find this like engineer woman that's like serving as a doctor that they find like on this like asteroid basically mm-hmm. i'm assuming she will wind up kind of being the doctor on the ship and she seems really cool too okay. so i felt like those were the, like i think they were it's again not anything about the actors at all i just think they're building sort of stronger characters and mm-hmm. and the captain pike is much more entertaining i love jason isaac actually as an actor um, yeah did you ever see the show awake that he was in that was super, no i've heard good things interesting and i've heard he was um, great in that death of stalin movie too yeah yeah I, I love him but again like the character just there wasn't a lot there to Lorca. Know? yeah yeah to Lorca. so uh so yeah that was all i, th- I think that i think the show is kind of improving but it's it's a common thing actually in television that um, some uh, show will start off the first half of a season is kind of one way and feels kind of uh, I don't know, kind of predetermined or overly sculpted into a thing so that it fits like these categories and things. And uh, and then in the back half of the first season, uh, the writers get to do what they actually want to do because <laughs> the producers are really usually super focused on the first like 10 episodes. And then, and then if it's a success, they're like, fine, you're good. And then the writers get to do what they, what they want. Um, you know, there's a pretty clear cut example of that is the first season of Arrow, where like it's pretty clear that somebody was saying, make it just like Batman begins. Yeah, no, totally. About, yeah, and yeah. then about ten episodes in, it takes off in another direction. And you're yeah. like, Well, oh, there it is. That's the spot. Yeah. Where the <laughs> they stopped looking over the shoulder and the writers got to go write something cool. Um, yeah. Well, Star Trek's kind of famous for that though, with the growing pains in the shows, like you know, you, you like generations generation doesn't get good until Riker has a beard really yeah so next generation so but they lost natasha yar and she was awesome yeah, she was great well, yeah but she keeps coming back so who cares like she's yeah she's like in data's memory or something like that no, right? she keeps Isn't coming it? back like she made oh. she made a poor career choice because she was gonna go do movies and that and then, didn't yeah. really work out and, a Romulan, oh, okay. right? yeah. yeah yeah she was Romulan. a romulan yeah she came back for yesterday's right. enterprise which is a fantastic episode yes yeah. And then she just keeps popping back up and you're like, dude, no, you wanted to get out of here. Yar, we ain't got time for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, too bad Pet Cemetery didn't work out. For yeah, you. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Andy. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. We've we've gone off on many little tangents and many different things, but we can kind of bring this all back together. The comic experience sounds like a wonderful idea. It's a very creative thing that you've that you've made for uh, for creatives of all kind of shapes and sizes and skill levels. If I wanted to join Comic Experience, how would I go about doing that? You would go to comicsexperience.com and that's comics 
plural with an S. It's not an X. That'll actually, there's a, there's a retailer that's Comics Experience with an X. Um, you just go to comicsexperience.com and then you would look. We've got on the main menu, there's courses, there's creators workshop, there's mentoring, and just kind of see what works for you. If you want to be a writer, we got writing classes, we got penciling and inking classes, coloring classes, lettering class, which actually starts in about two weeks. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, just go check it out. And then anything you want to register for, you just click the PayPal button and then we'll send you a registration email within about 24 or 48 hours at the latest. And, uh, and then, then you're in, you'll join us for a class or you'll become a member of the workshop. Um, and yeah, we'll get you started. There you go. And, and you've also got books to plug, right? I do. Have books crime, to plug. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, yeah. Crime syndicate. Number one came out today as we're recording this great uh, reviews, right? Great reviews. Fantastic reviews. <laughs> I've read them all. <laughs> uh yeah no it, it uh to be fair the, the reviews have been very positive so that's that's very nice um and then um and then generations shattered and generations forged uh just came out and then through our comic experience publishing program at this point coming out through source point press we've got uh thompson heller detective interstellar uh is coming out by by uh, milton moss and it's a really crazy sci-fi uh detective book and um yeah and yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff going on. It's That's good awesome. times. Yeah. Well, Andy, it was a pleasure meeting you. It was a pleasure having you on Word Bros. It's also nice to know that you are uh, Harrison Ford's biggest fan. You love Jack Ryan. Did Sabri <laughs> Did you cry at Sabrina? Has Sabrina made you cry? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a point in his career where I just kind of stopped going. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people did. Yeah, uh, it was after Sabrina. I definitely saw it, but I don't think I don't think I had had children yet, so I think okay. I did not cry in Sabrina. Okay, it, it's it's probably worth testing to see what would happen now. Like yes. I feel like I could learn a lot about myself. Like in my forties, do I cry at Sabrina? And then depending on that answer, I I don't know. It'll mean something. <laughs> <laughs> probably not good either way. And where can we find you on social media, Andy? Uh, on social media, you can find Comics Experience on Twitter at Comic Experience. That is singular because you only have 14 letters uh, at Comic Experience. Um, we have a Facebook page if you want to like the Facebook page and find updates there. Um, on Twitter, I personally am um, 39A Andy. Uh, so, okay. 30, so two A's in the middle, 39A A N D Y. Um, and uh, yeah, my Facebook page is, is just, it's just me. All right. Uh, right. Well, yeah. there you go. You and Andy Schmidt, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a real treat. I could listen. I could listen to you talk all day. You've got a, a very nice speaking voice. You're very, you're <laughs> very you. good. Very good. At this. You should, you should do more podcasts. Perhaps ah, man, something got, in the sci-fi genre. You know what, man? I'm not going to waste my life like that. I mean, that's just, it's just stupid. We got comics to write. Yeah, we got comics oh, to write. Speaking of podcasts, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on here, but uh, we have the Make Comics podcast. Comics Experience Make Comics podcast. There you go. All right. Uh, so if you want to learn about making comics, that's a good place to start. You can get to know us a little bit. Uh, and then you can give us all your money and take a course. You're not supposed, yes. to, yeah. supposed to leave oh. that part out. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'll, I'll that's not what I meant. I'll edit that part out. <laughs> but I won't because I'm lazy sometimes and I forget. <laughs> Sounds good <laughs> well thanks guys uh bob and kevin thanks i really appreciate it this has been a lot of fun and uh hopefully we'll do it again sounds good sounds good
And that was Andy Schmidt, who works with Comics Experience. And we were really glad to have Andy on. He had a lot of interesting things to say. He did. And Kevin, you, we forgot to mention this during the interview because we got sidetracked by Harrison Ford movies. Um, what are the two books that you can get from Andy that if you're interested in kind of making comics, but maybe you don't want to invest all that needed to be done to get into the comic experience classes? Tell us about the books that he's got. Sure. The two books are called, one of them is called, the older book is called The Insider's Guide to creating comics and graphic novels. There you go. Um, and that is an older book. And then the newer one is, is much more relevant uh, to what we talked about today. And it's the Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comics. There you scripting go. your story ideas from start to finish. And you can find both of those on, on Amazon. Or your local bookstore, wherever you need to get them. So yeah, man, Andy was a lot of fun. What a great guy. We really appreciate having him on. Next week, we have uh, from Black Caravan. I'm sure if you've been on the internet, you've seen all about Black Caravan. It's an imprint from Scout Comics. They've taken over the world. The horror world, the spooky world. We're going to have Joseph Schmalky on next week, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, man, So uh, it's we got a lot of episodes coming. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, get on the Word Bros train, my man. We got a newsletter that just came out. We got a website yep. out. We can You can buy our books on our web store. Just go to thewordbros.com, click in the little corner where it says buy our books and you can buy our books right there. You can get some uh, Word Bros books. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. We got all Yeah, please subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, I gotta, put a, I gotta put something on the website so people can do that, but it's on the Facebook page. I'll get a website thing up soon. But yeah, man, we got all kinds of shit going on. We are the Word Bros. We're trying to make 2021 the year of the Word Bro. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with Joseph Schmalky. Kevin, say goodbye. Goodbye, Kevin. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com. <laughs>